Good morning. Uh, I'm Bill Cayley. For those of you who don't know me, my wife Adrian and I have been involved in the bridge since, actually, I suppose since before the beginning, so for quite a while. Uh, I appreciate the chance to share this morning. Pastor Jerry and Sue are away on vacation for three weeks, uh, hopefully getting a much-needed and well-deserved rest. Uh, bridge kids, you can go. I had three persistent reminders to not forget about that. trying to get the light so I can see, but not a glare. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. We pray that you'll uh, be with us as we open your word. Pray for wisdom and clarity and sharing some reflections. Pray that we can apply uh, these thoughts to our lives. In your son's name, amen. So was Christmas this last week all that you hoped for? Did you get all those presents that you wanted, everything on your list? Did you get to sing all the carols that you wanted? Did your Christmas baking turn out just perfect? Did you get to feast and feast and feast without gaining a single pound? How many of you had some sort of promotion going on at work to try to keep you healthy over the Christmas holidays? Were you able to stick with it? Good. At least one person did. Or did Christmas leave you feeling a bit empty or just a little bit unfulfilled? Was there some special present you were really hoping for that wasn't there? Or did you get what you wanted but not in the right size? Did you miss out on caroling? Did you join a lot of other people and have sickness knock you flat on your back for a couple of days? Did you have light bulbs that burned out at just the wrong time? A few trips to Menards here. Uh, did your plans to stay fit just not fit in? There's an old Elvis hit that just about everyone knows. Uh, early in our marriage, Adrian and I spent most Thanksgivings visiting her brother in California, and he stuck to the tradition of Christmas music doesn't start until the day after Thanksgiving. And so the day after Thanksgiving, we were greeted bright and early by the Elvis hit, I'll Have a Blue Christmas Without You, which I'm not going to try to um, sing. Uh, but even those who spend Christmas with family often find ourselves sometimes with some post-holiday letdown or post-holiday blues in the days after Christmas. We look forward to Christmas, and then once Christmas Day has passed, we find ourselves thinking about returning gifts to the store, did things really fit, we've got those credit card bills, we've got to think about getting back to work, all that time off I was looking forward to is past. We're thinking about lives getting back to normal, and we typically have some sort, maybe just a little bit or maybe a lot, of some sort of post-Christmas letdown blues. And if you think about it, I think it makes sense because Christmas is, I think, the only holiday that we have such a long buildup for in the USA. We have a month-long buildup. We have celebrations. We've got parties. We've got our favorite music. Um, we take comfort in traditions. We've got favorite foods. We've got all sorts of traditional stories about Santa. Rudolph, Frosty, we now have three different versions of the Grinch, the early animated one, then the Jim Carrey version, and now the new Grinch movie. If someone says they're going to see the Grinch, you have to ask which movie they're going to see. 
Some folks face a whole month more of dread, dread of loneliness at the holidays, dread of all that has to be done because the list gets longer and longer every year, dread of unwanted togetherness, maybe with family where relationships aren't the best, or dread of some painful memories if there is a particular loss or painful experience at a Christmas in the past. Christmas in the USA is so big, you can't avoid it. Whether you, uh, whether you look... F- whether you lose your spot. Uh, whether you look forward to it with anticipation or dread or both, there's no way to avoid it. So after such a long buildup, some sort of feeling of letdown and relief is understandable. But if Christmas is so big that we're left feeling just exhausted and let down by its passing, then I think we have to ask, what have we really been waiting for? Have we had our focus in the right place? When we read or hear the Christmas story or watch it on TV, whatever version you look at, we think of the trip to Bethlehem, we think of the shepherds, the angels, Herod, the Magi. We read the Gospel of Matthew, we think of the escape to Egypt. But there's an important event that comes in the Gospel of Luke, and if you look at, the, at Matthew and Luke, how do you fit things exactly together? Most scholars think this happens after Jesus was born, before the escape to Egypt, And Luke tells us about it in the second part of chapter 2. We can go to that on the slides. Um, This is the main passage we'll be looking at today. I should have mentioned it's on page 716 uh, in the Bridge Bibles. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given to him before he was conceived. Then, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Next slide. Um, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice, so to consecrate to the Lord and also to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Next slide. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Next slide. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying... Next slide. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Next slide. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Next slide. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. Next slide. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Next slide. 
When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. There is a lot in that story. In today's culture, we have a lot of traditional activities to welcome a new baby. We have baby showers. We've got one coming up. We have birth announcements. We have reveal parties, which seem to get bigger and bigger every year to find out, is this going to be a boy or is it going to be a girl? And afterwards, many families choose at some point to dedicate, uh, after the newborn arrives, many families choose to participate in a service of formal dedication of the child uh, to God. Well, the Hebrew people in the first century had their own set of rituals uh, and traditions originating with events and teaching in the Old Testament. And this is what's being described in the story that Luke is telling us here. Uh, one important tradition recalled the original Passover when the angel of the Lord passed over the Israelites' firstborn males just, uh, just before Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And when the Hebrew people were still living in Egypt, after plague after plague after plague, we finally come to the story of the Passover when the Israelites were instructed to slaughter a lamb, paint the doorpost with some of the blood of the lamb, and the angel of death came through killing all the firstborn of the children of Egypt and passing over the firstborn uh, of the people of Israel. And then in Exodus uh, chapter 13, 2, next slide, the Lord says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So in commemoration of that first Passover, which is part of the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt, the people are instructed that every firstborn male should be consecrated to the Lord. So dedicating a firstborn male child to the Lord was a time-honored tradition for the first century Hebrews at Jesus' time, at the time that Jesus was born. And then another important tradition included uh, making a sacrifice as directed in Leviticus 12, 6, 8. So can we go to the next slide? Uh, Sorry, I added, there's one more verse I forgot to include in the slides. Uh, Leviticus 6, 8, starting at chapter 6. When the days of her, the mother's purification for a son or daughter are over, she's to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. The, he, the priest, shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will, she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she'll be clean. So we have a couple of instructions dating back to the time of Moses for how a family should mark a newborn child. Firstborn male should be dedicated to the Lord and after a time of purification, after childbirth, uh, earlier in Leviticus says this would be at least about 60 days, or at least two months afterwards, the, the new parents are to make a, make a sacrificial offering at the temple uh, as part of the rite of purification for the mother. So that tells us that if Mary and Joseph are following the directions laid out in the Old Testament, this story that we're reading in Luke would have been at least two months after Jesus had been born. And going to the temple like this for Mary and Joseph would probably not have been a regular experience for them. 
They lived uh, in Nazareth to the north. This may have been their very first time uh, to the temple in Jerusalem, although traveling from Bethlehem would have certainly been a little bit closer. But still, this was something that they were expecting to do just as part of a routine, part of the routine traditions to mark uh, the birth of Jesus. And despite the fact that Mary and Joseph had received prophecies from angels, and so they knew that their, their baby was something different, they had some pretty clear prophecies, they probably also thought this was simply going to be a routine, participating in routine ceremonies, essentially a routine baby dedication and purification ceremony for Mary. So I would think they were probably a little bit surprised, maybe completely taken aback, when a man and an older woman approached them and had some things to say about their child. So, we've got this man and woman, Simeon and Anna, who are coming up to Mary and Joseph. Who were they? We don't know a whole lot about them because this is the only time in the New Testament that we hear about them. Luke is the only one who tells us. But we do get a little bit of information from, the, from this passage. We know Simeon had been promised that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And Luke also says he is righteous and devout. Now, what does that mean? Perhaps he was a truly observant Pharisee. We know that when we think of the Pharisees, we tend to think of people who are more concerned with outward appearance and outward righteousness, and inward were actually hypocrites. And that seems to have certainly been the case of many of the Pharisees at the time of Jesus' ministry, 30 years later. But we also know that even at Jesus' time, there were some Pharisees who were truly seeking the kingdom of God. In uh, in uh, chapter 3 of John's gospel, Nicodemus, who comes to talk to Jesus in the night, he's clear, it, John indicates he was a Pharisee. So is Simeon perhaps a devout Pharisee? Or maybe he was just a very observant Hebrew, uh, a very righteous and devout ordinary person. Was he elderly? The, the picture that we had up at the beginning uh, is, I think, a beautiful depiction of this story. Uh, there are others out there, and they typically show Simeon as an as a old man. The typical depiction shows him as an old man told by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Messiah, so we think of him as someone towards the end of his days, and when he says, Lord, now dismiss your servant in peace, we think that, we, we think that he's saying, okay, I've reached the end of my life, now I can be dismissed to rest in peace because I've seen God's coming Messiah. That could be the case, but Luke does not tell us his age. Perhaps he was a young man, too. Perhaps he was a young man with decades of life before him who was patiently waiting for the Messiah to come, not knowing when during his life this would be. Uh, Luke, as I said, Luke 2.29, where Simeon says, you now dismiss your servant in peace. We tend to see that as Simeon being at the end of his life, thinking that his life is complete. Perhaps this is Simeon as a young man saying, okay, this stage of my life has been fulfilled, now I'm on to the next stage of my mission in life. It's all speculation. We don't know. We know that Simeon was waiting. We know he is considered righteous and devout. We know that he saw meeting Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus as some sort of fulfillment of what he'd been waiting for. About Anna, we actually have a little bit more information. From what Luke tells us about her age, it's clear that she was married young, and then after seven years of marriage, sadly, she was widowed very young. And here's where the translations get a little bit interesting. The way, the, and the way 
this passage of Luke is commonly translated. It says that she lived until she lived as a widow, and sorry, she lived as a widow until she was 84. Another possible translation is that she lived as a widow for 84 years. So maybe she was 84 at this time. Maybe she was closer to 104. Whatever, it's clear from Luke 2 that her life had been many long years of praying, watching, and waiting in the temple. Was Simeon young? Was Simeon old? We don't know, but we know he was in the temple waiting. We know Anna was very old and had spent a lot of time in the temple watching, waiting, and praying. We usually think of the season for Christmas preparation as the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Getting ready for Christmas for us means about a month. Commercial interests seem to start things a little bit earlier, and I think the earliest I've heard Christmas music on 98.1 was mid-November. If you're shopping, sometimes when you're at the store, you see the Christmas stuff starting to pop up even at the same time that the Halloween merchandise is showing up. So if, you're, if you go by the stores, our Christmas preparation maybe starts about two months out. But regardless, for us, our Christmas preparation typically is no more than about a month or two. For Simeon and Anna, their time of waiting was for a lifetime. But it's also clear that they clearly knew when their time of waiting had been fulfilled. Listen again to what, uh, Luke, what Simeon says in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 29 to, uh, to 32. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, for, sorry, for the glory of your people, Israel. And then in verse 38, Luke says that Anna gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, Mary and Joseph went to the temple expecting the customary rites and celebrations for a newborn child, and what they ended up with was speeches and songs about salvation, about revelation, about glory for Israel, and the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, in these songs and proclamations over the baby Jesus, Simeon and Anna are very clearly echoing a couple of passages from Isaiah. Uh, the longer one is Isaiah chapter 42, uh, verses 1 through 9, which we should have up here. If we can go to the next slide. Isaiah 42, 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Next slide. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. Next slide. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Next slide. I am the Lord. 
That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is from one of the servant songs in Isaiah. Uh, and these are passages that specifically look forward to God's servant who Isaiah expects uh, will bring redemption through suffering for God's people. Isaiah 42 looks forward to God's servant who will bring justice and who will look out for the downtrodden. The passage looks back, recalling what God has done in the past, but then also looks forward to what God will do in the future. It looks back as far as creation to God's work creating the world and looks forward to God's future promise of sending someone who will be a deliverer. In what uh, Simeon and Anna proclaim over the baby Jesus, there are also echoes of Isaiah 52, 9 to 10. If we can go to that slide. Burst into songs, uh, sorry, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52 isn't just making, about making Jerusalem another nice place to live. Let's spruce up the neighborhood. The images recall the times in the past when Jerusalem was ruined by oppressors, when the, when the people of Israel were taken over by other countries, were oppressed and enslaved. And Isaiah 52 is specifically looking forward to redemption and freedom from slavery and oppression. Both of these servant song passages in Isaiah would have been seen by the people in, the first, cent in first century Israel as referring to God's plan to deliver His people from slavery. Both passages looked, in Isaiah looked back to times in the past where God had delivered His people, and both passages were seen as looking forward and predicting, predicting the hope for a Messiah who would deliver the people again. The Messiah was expected to bring freedom from slavery and freedom from oppressors. The passages in Isaiah also make it clear, however, that the prophets expected God's servant to fulfill, God, to, excuse me, to fulfill Israel's mission of bringing light, freedom, and reconciliation to the world. So the passages in Isaiah aren't just looking forward to God bringing hope back to Israel, but a suffering servant who would lead Israel in bringing hope to the world. The servant was not going to come just for Israel's benefit. Rather, Israel had been chosen as God's representative to the world, and the servant songs in Isaiah shaped the expectations for a chosen Messiah who would bring God's kingdom to the earth. So when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, they were probably just expecting some routine rituals. What they were met with was a man and a woman marking their son's birth with songs and speeches that linked their baby Jesus to prophecies from the Old Testament. Mary and Joseph had been given prophecies by the angels of who, how Jesus was going to come to be and who he would be. Now that they're coming to the temple, they're getting even more prophecies of who Jesus will be as God's suffering servant, both for the people of Israel and for the whole world. 
This may not be the perfect analogy, but I think one way to think of some of these events is the way we tend to think of the end of a person's time in high school or college. When we think of the ending of a time in high school or college, we often talk about graduation, sort of marking the end of something, but the other word for that time is a time of commencement. This, uh, the, end, the end of a time of preparation, but the beginning of what we've been really getting ready for. And I think we can think, too, of Anna, Simeon's song and Anna's proclamation as a time of commencement for Jesus. Yes, this has been a time of preparation, but the focus shouldn't be just on the time of preparation. The focus should be on what we've been preparing for, which is now beginning. So the waiting that stretched back at least as far as the Old Testament servant songs of Isaiah is now over, but with Simeon's song and Anna's proclamation over Jesus, the time of God's Messiah is just beginning. The focus shouldn't be on looking back, the focus should be on looking forward. The baby Jesus, who Mary and Joseph are bringing to the temple, who Simeon and Anna are celebrating, this baby is going to grow up to say, let the little children come to me. And he's going to scold his disciples, excuse me, for being too aloof to deal with the children. This small child is going to grow up to teach others to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This baby who is born to an average working class couple is going to grow up to teach others, just as you did it to the one of the least of these members of my family, you did it to me. This baby who was born humbly in a stable and will die humbly on a cross is the one who's going to rise to tell his followers, oh, next slide, he won't say next slide, he'll rise to tell his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When we think of the Christmas story, we think of the first part of Luke 2, the trip to Bethlehem, the mangers, the angels, and all that. But the story of Simeon and Anna makes clear that Christmas is not primarily about the end of a time of preparation. Christmas shouldn't be just uh, thinking about all these preparations that we've done for a big holiday and, phew, now the holiday's over. Christmas is about a beginning. When we celebrate Jesus' birth, it's because it means the beginning of the kingdom of God with us in a new way. For those who feel they can't measure up to expectations, Christmas is about the coming of the Savior who paid the price for our sins. And in paying the price for our sins, Jesus sets us free from expectations, our own expectations for ourselves, the expectations of others, and in a sense, even what we think of as God's expectations on us. We can easily think that God demands us to be perfect, and we can't be perfect. We're painfully aware that we fall short in sin over and over again. But by paying the price for our sins, Jesus sets us free from the need to measure up to the perfection that we think God demands. For those who dread loneliness and don't know how to fit in, for those who feel alienated from family or from friends, Christmas means the coming of the one who brings comfort. For those who feel downtrodden, Christmas means the coming of Jesus, about whom Isaiah said, a bruised reed he will not break, 
a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Christmas isn't just about the end of the Christmas season, all this preparation for celebration and gifts and everything. Christmas is about the beginning of Jesus calling us to be part of his mission, a mission, or sorry, a call that stretches all the way to the passage, again, from Matthew 28, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We can best celebrate Christmas not by thinking just of Christmas Day, but by looking forward to the ways we can share and live out the kingdom of God in our lives. When we think about a lot of the traditional Christmas celebrations, I think it's easy to think of the poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." If you look on the back of the notes page, for what it's worth, I want to share with you something I wrote a number of years ago thinking about this passage, "'Twas the Week After Christmas." "'Twas the week after Christmas, and all through the house, the trimmings were down, the lights had been doused, and Ma in her jammies and I in my sweats thought of how much we'd spent with some regrets. We'd eagerly planned for that big day, but with post-Christmas blues, the joy seemed far away. After all the excitement, we now just felt shattered. We looked at each other, wondering, what was the matter? After joy to the world and peace to all men, it was now back to work, reality again. As we finally wrapped up the post-Christmas chores, we sat and we pondered, shouldn't Christmas mean more? Then we thought of the Bible and those people of old, watching with hope for the kingdom foretold. They waited and longed with great expectation the day that would come of God's promised salvation. He came as a babe, much to their surprise, but there he was indeed, right in front of their eyes. This was not just the end of long years and yearning, this was the start. Time itself was turning from looking and hoping to knowing for sure that God is now with us. His kingdom endures. No longer need sin and death rule our day. Now Jesus, our Christ, has opened the way to live as disciples, to be one with Him, to have full forgiveness for every sin. The kingdom of God, that's what it's about. Go spread the good news. Tell all with a shout. So when parties and spending fade to post-Christmas blues, Turn instead to the story of the real Christmas news. Jesus, born in a stable, bids us tell everyone, joy to the world, our Lord surely has come. Merry Christmas.